do you agree that you know it's time that we all wake up and take responsibility even for our ancestors that did not know any better been waiting patiently to have this kind of conversation <laughs> Well, it's Wake Up With KC, and, you know, I'm so in awe and amazed of the people I come across and meet and connect with, and even hearing their story, their life experiences, how they've overcome, how they transformed their lives, and I am very fortunate, honored, humbled and it's such a pleasure to have Movita Johnson Harold join us today. Movita, welcome. Hi, Kim. Thank you. How are you today? I am doing awesome now that I, I finally get to meet you. Granted, it's not in person, but it is truly an honor and pleasure to meet you. And I'm fascinated with your life story. Can you please, you know, Give the audience a brief summary of who you are, where you came from, and your story. Absolutely. Um, so thank you so much for having me on with Wake Up With KC. I'm excited to be on with you today, Kim. Um, so my name is Movita Johnson Harrell. For your viewers, um, I come from five generations of poverty and five generations of addictions. And I am a five-time co-victim of homicide. Um, you know, there was a running joke in my family that they put wine and beer in my baby bottle. So I used to always say that I used with or without my permission, right? And I actually picked up a drink of my own free will on March 30th, 1975. It was Easter Sunday, 21 days before my ninth birthday. Um, as a direct result of seeing my father get murdered. Um, my father was shot in the chest with a double barrel shotgun on our front porch. And in that moment, I lost my mother, my father, and my only brother because my brother then began to live with PTSD and depression, was never properly diagnosed, had behavioral health issues, wound up in and out of juvenile facilities, then out of, in and out of adult correctional facilities with an active addiction and unaddressed mental health. And on July 1st, 1991, my brother was killed over a girl while his five-year-old son sat in his lap. And in that moment on March 30th, 1975, I also lost my mother um, because my father literally died in my mother's arms. She began to suffer with depression. She had her own, you know, issues of abuse um, with substances and with physical abuse from her parents growing up. So she had already had, you know, issues with depression, but it really became magnified after my father was murdered. And she then began to self-medicate with drugs and alcohol. And my mother still struggles till this day. Um, but my addiction quickly spiraled out of control. You know, I'm an adult, I'm a, I'm a child survivor of molestation. I'm an adult survivor of rape. And uh, September 15th, 1994, I got clean. And I got clean because the Child Protective Service Agency in Philadelphia was threatening to take my children away. And they said, well, Ms. Johnson, while we know you love these children, they can no longer live in this house. And that was because at the end of my road, I lived in the family house. It was a three-bedroom home. I had no running water on the first on the second floor. I had an illegal electrical hookup. I had no running gas, and I couldn't imagine how I got there. You know, I had wanted out for so long, and I saw this as divine intervention because this woman, this this child protective services agency woman, says something to me, Kim, that no one had ever said to me before. She said, "Look, Miss Johnson, we know you love these children. You know," she said, "We talked to your neighbors, we talked to your family." we know you love these children. She said, but these children can't live here anymore. And she says something to me, Kim, that no one had ever said to me. She said, you might want to get some help. And I said, please tell me how. And from that day forward, I embarked on the journey of recovery. In September, I celebrated 27 years 
clean from an active crack addiction, from alcoholism. I have not had any mind or mood altering drugs in 27 years. And I went on about the business of trying to get my life together for my children. I got my high school diploma at 30 years old. I spent the next five years full-time in school and graduated in May of 2004 from the University of Pennsylvania with five degrees. I got an associate's from the local community college and a certification, and I got three degrees from the University of Pennsylvania with four children and two jobs. So I fought really hard to be able to provide a good life for my children, you know, created a multi-million dollar business um, and did everything in my power to protect my children because I was so hypervigilant about violence. And I actually left Philadelphia on January 15, 2008. And this was less than six months after my two sons came to me and said, mom, we know nine boys murdered in this neighborhood. And I turned to my husband at that point and I said, it's time to go. And we left Philadelphia and exactly three years to the day I left, I buried my 18 year old son. He came to Philadelphia to pick up his sister and was killed in a total case of mistaken identity. Wow. That's like, I'm like, holy shit. That's a lot. It's a lot. And I'm sorry, I know that was a lot. I just put it out there, right? And and that's not even all of it. You know, you've read some of my story, but yes. it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot to live. Yes. And you know what I find very fascinating? Because you just shared, you know, from five generations of mental, of uh, substance abuse, uh, poverty. I mean, yeah. poverty. And from my understanding, being an intuitive transmedium and, and studied more about limited beliefs, mental programmings, even emotional energetic traumas, you just nailed all of that in a nutshell, just based on your life experience growing up. Yeah. And I keep telling the audience, my audience, like you have to be aware there's patterns in our ancestral line that's, you know, energy. We're energies everywhere. We are energy in a human form. And that trauma gets passed down. Absolutely. Until you realize, wait. You know, oh, it's hereditary. Oh, it's in the genes. Dude, I watch what you say when you say that. <laughs> you know, but okay, you see a pattern, you see a cycle. Well, you have the power to stop it. Yeah, and you know there's general generational curses, right? Yeah. And That's that what it sure does intent. sound like. And I'm like, well, how do you break that? Because that you got to awake and acknowledge that, hey, here's a piece to the clue of why you're struggling and experiencing what you're experiencing. Because a lot of it's not ours. It's just been passed down until yeah. we wake up and recognize and then acknowledge. Then we take the power to change it, not just for ourselves, but future generations. Yeah. And that was my hope, Kim, that I was breaking those uh, curses for my children, right? Because every, and, and, and I can say this with all honesty and all love, every wonderful thing I've done since I got clean was for my children, everything, everything, right? Well, because coming, you. well, well, for number one, because coming where I came from, I had never experienced unconditional love until I had these children. So they love me through my brokenness, right? They love me through my trauma. They love me through my addiction. They didn't care that I was broken. They love me because I was their mother. And a lot of times they get traumatized with what we do. And, you know, through, uh, you know, mental issues and, you know, abuse, you know, all the abuse that we, we, probably pass it on to them or based on what they see, what they hear, how they feel, they carry that on too. Mm -hmm. And that's the, the sad part. 
you know, because then they have to go to the healing too, based on what they experience, another trauma. So it's, it's a lot of work. But I feel if everyone can do that, there would be a lot more peace and harmony. Mm. You know, and I always look at, you know, when I look at people now, based on my own experience, I can now have compassion for somebody else because I'm like, you know what? That person is struggling and I wish them well. I bless them. And they'll wake up soon so they can start their journey of the healing and letting go of all that stuff. Right. And how would you know unless you experience it yourself? Yeah. You know, we've all suffered loss. We've all experienced trauma. And it's been going on for centuries. Yeah. I keep, I'm like, people were repeating history until we wake up. We don't have to live like this. We don't. We're just blinded. There's like a veil. Yeah. And, and we get so familiar with it. It seems like normal. Right. And and where I found myself, Ken, was it was so painful when I lost my son because every everything I had done had been to protect them, even leaving Philadelphia, right? And I attempted to try and, because I needed to hold my family together. We're such a tight-knit family. I was able to create the kind of family I always wanted, you know? And and I, I've, I've made amends with my mother, but I had resentments with my mother for many years because every drug I've ever tried, my mother was the first person to give it to me. Right. And what I realized, you know, after coming into recovery and after doing some work on myself, I realized to let go of those resentments because in actuality, my mother did the best she could with what she had. Right. Mm -hmm. In her mind, she thought she was protecting me from the streets like nobody could give me anything wrong because I knew what everything was. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but the difference between me and her is that I would never do that to my children. Mm -hmm. And. For me to be able to provide the kind of life that I always wanted as a child, to be able to provide that for my children was very gratifying for me, right? But then there was a flip side to that. Like you said, we carry that stuff through generations, right? So I had this hypervigilance to violence. So I was very overprotective of my children, Some sometimes to the point where um, I denied them. Right. Because because I was molested as a child, my children couldn't spend the night out. They couldn't. I was too afraid that someone would try and harm one of my children. Right. So like you said, sometimes when we're attempting to protect, we can cause harm ourselves. Mm hmm. Fear. Absolutely. And fear is real. Mm hmm. And it's funny looking back in history. You know, I, I see love sponsors fear, fear sponsors love, and it's just a cycle. Yeah. Unfortunately, and it's all created by man. Absolutely. And even after Charles was killed, you know, I attempted to hold my family together the best that I can. You know, we created the Charles Foundation very organically after my son died less than a month, you know, because my husband and I are so popular and my, my children are so popular. When young people started getting shot, they would say, you got to call Movita and Yancey. And we would show up at crime scenes. We would show up at hospitals. And I'm talking about, I was fresh into this new grief myself, but it was kind of therapeutic for me because it felt like I was able to give birth to my son in a different way. Right. And we created the Charles Foundation and Charles is an acronym for creating healthy alternatives results in less emotional suffering. And I began my fight of trying to end gun violence, like literally going across the country, you know, speaking, advocating for safe gun legislation, advocating for the resources necessary to empower young people to make better decisions other than picking up guns. Right. And did this work and like really got tired of sitting in front of people who weren't interested in making sure that our communities were safe.
Wow. That's sad that. And, and why do you think that is? Homicide is big business. Gun violence is big business across this country. Can you share? Enlighten me on this. This is Ooh, interesting. Girl, absolutely. This is my area. So if you look at my life, right? So I, I, I went into the district attorney's office. I had been part of a strategy called Focus Deterrence in 2013 and 2014 here in Philadelphia. Um, it's based off of a strategy called GVI, Group Violence Intervention, created by a criminologist named David Kennedy out of John Jay College in New York City. Everywhere this strategy goes across the country, it has a reduction in violence. Well, why does it have a reduction in violence? Because what it does is it uses positive peer pressure, right, to stop the shooting. And it addresses, there's a, a small percent in each community that's actually doing the shooting. Three to 5% of the people who live in a community are actually the ones doing the shooting. So this strategy targets that specific group. And what it does is it uses parole and probation and it brings them in and it tells them you will be prioritized. If one person in your group, all of you shoots, all of you will be prioritized. That means you're being moved to the top of the food chain. If you got back cases, you're going to see a judge soon. If you got bail, you're going to be denied or you're going to get a high bail. They're prioritized. But you know what? If you want out of the street life, we're going to prioritize you there too. They're given one number to call for anything that they need. Drug and alcohol treatment, mental health treatment, diapers, milk, job training, educational resources, anything they need, they are prioritized, right? When we did the strategy here in Philadelphia in 2013-14, we had only $150,000 for two years. That was one salary for two years. And we still had over a 35% reduction in gun violence in the first year of the strategy. Why? Because many of them went out, but there's no door. It specifically addresses the social determinants that lead to gun violence. So what are the social determinants? It's poverty. It's food deserts. It's housing scarcity, right? It's gentrification. So you asked a great question about the gun violence. So we couldn't get the money to fund the strategy, but in Philadelphia, now here's how, how you know homicide is big business or gun violence is big business, right? Here in Philadelphia, they denied us in 2015 funding this strategy, even though there were boys that they said would never put down the guns, put down the guns, came off the streets, went to job training, educational training. Former shooters now, Kim, these same boys came to city council hearings to testify in 2015 how the strategy saved their life and the city still would not fund the strategy. Here's the flip side of it. We've spent millions of dollars in Philadelphia and across this country building trauma bays just for gun violence. In Philadelphia alone, we have over a billion dollars in police overtime every year for gun violence. We fund prosecutors, we fund defenders, we fund doctors, we fund nurses, all for gun violence. But we can't give up money for a strategy that worked. Gun violence is big business. So hold up a second. To me, I'm hearing a solution to a problem hmm. that seems like a win-win for individuals and a community. So why wouldn't that be implemented? Because you could still profit from it. Well, you can't profit from the gun violence if the bodies aren't dropping. So here's the thing. When I went into the district attorney's office, the only reason why I left my life and went into the district attorney's office because the most one of the most progressive DAs in this country, Larry Krasner, said, Movita, I will help you get it funded. We were literally, Kim, in an agreement with the city of Philadelphia and the district attorney's office to get a half a million dollars to fund this strategy in 2018, November in 2018, right? 
four days before the submission of the grant, the city pulled out. Guess what they did with the half a million dollars? They went back and funded those patronage jobs, those same organizations that have done nothing in all these years that the gun violence continue to spike. So when my seat came available in Jan, this happened in November. And I was literally devastated because I had been in the DA's office all year working to get the strategy funded. We had an agreement with the city. They pulled out four days before the submission of the grant. So my my seat, the state representative seat in my district became available in January. Kim, that's the only reason why I ran was to fund the strategy. Oh my God. Hmm. So what a lot of people don't see when they're seeing all the press about my my rep seat because I made history as the first Muslim woman elected to the Pennsylvania legislature, what they're not seeing is that I went up to Harrisburg and I, I did exactly what I said I was going to do, right? So as a six-month freshman, Kim, no experience in politics. Being a legislature was never on my to-do list. As the six-month freshman, no history in politics. And I got to be totally honest with you, Kim, I ain't know what the hell I was doing. <laughs> went up to Harrisburg, listen, went up to Harrisburg, and in six months, I bought back $1.3 million for that strategy. Wow. And over, and, and over $5 million in community improvements. I didn't know what the hell I was doing, but I knew I was going to bring the money home. Wow. So, to me, that sounds like a, a transformation of some sort. And like, what, what happened when you brought that money in? What, what did that do? How did that help when, when you were able to accomplish that? So that money actually went to a nonprofit called the Urban Affairs Coalition for them to work with the city, the police, and the district attorney's office to ramp up this GVI program. Remember that I told you about created by David Kennedy? Before I resigned from the House of Representatives, I took a group of 20 leaders up to New York City to meet with John Jay College and David Kennedy for them to get a full day training on the strategy. Kim, that strategy was just implemented here in Philadelphia one month ago. Wow the hurdles and the obstacles. Yeah. But the whole point behind all of it is that I never wanted to be a legislator. I just wanted kids to stop dying. So well, I was you, willing. And you gained a whole new learning experience being in office, didn't you? Yeah, that was something. It's disgusting. Okay. Yes. I, I, I like, Oh, I know where this is going. So, um, yeah. Cause I thought about like, man, like I, I limit myself on that news media. I try not to, cause I don't like negativity. Mm -hmm. There's enough. I choose because on my consciousness level, I'm not going to buy into any more violence and I'm not going to focus my attention and energy on that. Rather, I'm going to change it to focus and energy on more solutions, more peace, more harmony. And visioning, you know, those that are in office working together in harmony for the betterment of humanity and our planet. That's not what happens up there. That it is it's just not what happens. You know, first of all, I didn't come from... So political families in Philadelphia and across this country are like mafia families, right? They are like groups, they're cliques who stick together and all they, for the most, I mean, we have some really good legislators in Philadelphia that I work with who really want the best for the community. But for the most part, they're like mafia families who stick together to protect their jobs, right? And a lot of them really don't advocate for the needs of the people. If they did, why would I have to go to Harris? Why would I have to leave my life 
to go to Harrisburg to bring back money for a gun violence strategy that somebody could have did with a stroke of a pen. I literally went up there and made one ass and got the money. A freshman. Wow. So in, in other words, would it be safe to say that, you know, those in office and, and politicians, it's about securing their own job in being in the office? For many of them, yes, I would totally agree. And they just, and then there's compromising and negotiating in order to win favors and campaign. Yes. Wow. And there's a lot of other stuff that goes on that I can't talk about. Like some of the stuff that I saw was really disgusting. Right. But here's the thing. I think something that me running for office did for everyday people, because I was just an everyday person, right? Running for office. And I broke a glass ceiling. And, and one thing we have to understand is when you break a seal, when you break a glass ceiling, you're going to have shards, right? Mm -hmm. So I knew that in one way or another, being the first Muslim woman, that there would be some consequences to that. A right? cause and effect. Absolutely. But here's the thing. One thing I understand is there is no reward without risk. And Kim, I had another son that I needed to protect. I had Charles's son that was born 26 days after he died. I had my daughter's son who was born five weeks after Charles's son. I had my son Dante who had two children. I had a whole community. That was because they called me the gun lady, like the whole community looking at me to keep them safe, right? So for me, it was worth the risk. And I have people, and, and I don't know if you saw my swerving in, but that was a whole nother thing. Because when I was sworn in, I was told I wasn't welcome, right? That went international. And a lot of people don't realize I started receiving hate mail and death threats. People told me, take the rag off my head, go back to my country where I came from. I mean, it was really, really ugly, but I believe in divine purpose, right? And I believe that I was chosen to walk this path. So I said, anything that comes with this path is part of the purpose. Well, that's a good mindset to have. Huh? I said, that's a good mindset to have. So no matter what came up against me, I knew that I had to walk the path because it was the purpose. Wow. And, Even still. And you know what? It, it's being a researcher and studying ancient civilization and history of war and you know even how politics and government got established and created how religion got established and created i see history repeating itself mm -hmm. just a different time period different era i mean granted we've come a long way but there it, it could be so much better you know, we've evolved to a degree, like that much maybe. Yeah. And it's just astounding to me now, looking at what I know now and how things are going. I And, and this separation and this racism. Yeah. That's something that's taught. That's a mental programming and a limited belief. And it's like, I look at everybody as a spiritual being, a sexual being inside of a human being. A beautiful soul that's in a human form, discovering and learning in order to expand and grow. Yeah, but Kim, realize you're enlightened. 
you do understand that, right? Yeah, I'm getting hit when you say it. So I got spirit guides all around me. Yes, you are an enlightened being, right? We have to realize that racism and social injustice is interwoven into the fabric, the fabric of this country. And most of them are not enlightened, Kim. I I would love to take a pair of scissors and just be free. Yeah. But it's at their own divine timing. Absolutely. And I just have to bless them, let them be, and it's hard. Well, yeah. I mean, I've literally been targeted for being a triple threat, right? I'm a black Muslim woman. And it's funny because people don't like I've I've been in the United States. I grew up in South Florida. I've never been anywhere else out of the country. Mm -hmm. But I ask a question. Well, because I understand about ancient civilization, I've learned about the Far East, the Sumerians. The, you know, the Babylonians, the Assyrians and whatnot. And I see a connection of, wow, this is interesting. They even have artifacts and all this other stuff. And, you know, that's part of where, you know, your ancestry in the Far East have come from. And I'm like, what was it like over there? You know, instead of just hearsay, you know, what people have told me, I'm like, no, I, I, I'll go and do my own research. Yeah. And so I, I, I ask some a higher self, my higher self or high, divine source, whatever you want to call it. And I'm like, please, I want to know the truth to this. What does this mean? How did this come about? And I just go on this journey and I discover like, wow, why doesn't everybody else, you know, understand this part of history and i know some of history's got destroyed and there's a reason why they did that but there's other ones that have been left behind and hidden and been discovered and i'm truly fascinated and i know it's not it wasn't easy back then they didn't have some of the stuff we have now like cell phones hello computers they had rocks <laughs> they had tablets you know um, and I'm just, you know, I, I, I want to, out of ancestral and ancient civilization, apologize and please forgive for the things that we have all done to each other. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's heartfelt, you know, so now I can show compassion and I'm like, you ran for the house of representatives because you were on a mission to stop the gun violence. I mean, we just had, there's the written house. Then there's the, three guys with what's his name then you know it's like ongoing and i'm like what in the world is going on yeah not only that we've exceeded 500 homicides in philadelphia we have not had this many homicides recorded since they started recording them so we're at an all-time high. So my hope is that all that fighting and pushing and hate that I received for forcing GBI down their throat, that they will make it work so that we can reduce the number of people dying and getting shot in Philadelphia because most of them are young Black men. And they're they're just stuck in, in their beliefs and traumas from their generation too. And that's sad. Yeah. Not only that, Kim, I mean, a, a lot of it is very intentional. It's genocide. I mean, here's the thing. We got young people that can get a gun easier than they can get a meal. And what world does that make any sense? Really? Oh, absolutely.
absolutely. They all have guns. And and here's the thing. We have people doing gun buybacks. And, and, and if we can get one gun off the street, that's a wonderful thing. But they're not getting all of those guns. Where are the guns coming from? Our, our neighborhoods are flooded with illegal guns. How and does that we even hold the Republican? We need to hold everybody responsible for that because we already know that the gun manufacturer makes over several million dollars worth of extra guns um, every year that they know will be sold on the black market. Wow. And neither party it wants anything to do with helping change that for the better? Well, here's the thing. The Republicans have the majority. So even any safe gun legislation promoted has to be approved by the right. And they're so busy screaming Second Amendment. And and, and I, made some, I made Republican friends when I went to Harrisburg because you know what? My issue isn't with the Second Amendment. Everyone assumed that I had a problem with the Second Amendment. My issue was not with the Second Amendment. My issue is with the legal guns. My issue is with people who should not have guns having access to guns. So my beef ain't with the Second Amendment. And you know what's fascinating to me? Because I think I was talking to, I can't remember, for the life of me, it just went out the window. But I was talking to somebody about uh, the Constitution and the Second Amendment. And what I find fascinating is like, uh, you guys realize, because I've read it, and I'm like, well, not for nothing, but this was written in 1776. It got re-amended <laughs> in 1786-87. I'm like, but you got to understand what was going on in that moment in time when that thing was written. Because they had the British coming in and taking over people's property, living in their residence. So that's why the right to carry arms was initiated into that. And not only that, Kim, guns were much different back then. Thank you. Oh, my God. We have, we have weapons of war in urban cities across this country. Like, I, so here's the thing. I did this whole, I organized this whole big um, protest called Demand the Ban. And I pulled together a bunch of my um, gun violence allies all together to hold this protest and work with an organization called Raw Tools, who's out of Colorado. And what they do is they take old guns and they melt them down and make them garden tools. So before we had this protest in May of 2018, I said, I want to see how long it'll take me to go in and buy a long gun. Because, you know, for mass, for mass uh, murders, the gun of choice is actually an AR-15, right? Which is a war of weapons. Mm -hmm. So I said, let me go into a gun store and see how long it could take me to buy an AR-15. This was before I was a felon. That's a sidebar. Anyway... <laughs> Um, I had a license to, to carry. I went into a local gun store and I said, I want to buy a long gun. And he went on to tell me about all these beautiful long guns. And he was making them sound so sexy, girl. And I chose a gun and it was an AR-15. And literally from the time I signed the background check till the time I signed the bill of sale, four and a half minutes it took me to buy a long gun and he never once not once asked to see my permit to carry he asked for my driver's license that's it wow now i went i had to take a class to get a certification to apply for my right to carry what state are you in I'm in Florida. That's why. We're in disgusting Pennsylvania. <laughs> Sorry. Well, there is parts of Pennsylvania that are beautiful. Oh, it's a it's a beautiful state. And it's a disgusting state at the same time. Well, it I wish it gets better there than and in all places, honestly. But there's gotta be some like where did common sense go? Yeah, that part. 
you know, like, hey, there, here's an issue. You know, kids are getting killed at schools. There's, you know, just nonsense. Yeah. Uh, you know, it should be, it's just like a privilege for you to have a car, a driver's license. That's a privilege. But you violate that privilege, it gets taken away from you. Right. But you have to go through all the necessary protocols in obtaining a gun. I I believe that there should be more like stipulations, right? certifications, training, you know, even a background check. Yeah. So the background check is minutes. It takes minutes for the background check. But here's the thing, like even the DA here um, was talking about holding people accountable for lost and stolen guns, right? People aren't re reporting their guns where they're quote unquote lost or stolen. And that's how a lot of straw purchases happen. People go into store, two people go into a store. Sometimes it's a girl and the guy and the guy will pick out all the guns and the girl will sign the background check. So the guy can't sign the background check because he has a criminal record. So the girl will sign the background check. They'll pay for the guns, go outside, put the gun in the guy's trunk and he will pay the girl a fee. That's how a lot of guns, illegal guns get into our community. Wow. It's called then straw purchase then you know what makes sense to me if that girl is involved in that she should be prosecuted too yeah so they started something in pennsylvania several years ago that if a person participates in straw purchases that it's an automatic five years in prison wow it hasn't slowed down the sale wow people are willing to risk that yeah, yeah, because a bunch five of years of your life, you could be doing so much better. Because if you make examples of some of those people, then maybe it'll stop. I keep telling you, Kim, gun violence is big business. Wow, that's just, I, I'm just astounded and appalled at the same time. Yeah. And, and, and I don't, from our, our, our origins of, uh, controlling, manipulating, and greed. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I was called a thief and a liar and this, that, and the other. And here's the thing. To go to the state house, I took a huge pay cut. I just wanted to stop gun violence. Right? And here's the thing. Because I know, you know, um that you're divinely connected. And I was told that we pick our lives. Mm -hmm. I couldn't imagine picking this life. No, I, 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 I could agree. And you know what, um, that this is how I found out about this. I got, I was in a, my second marriage. And I mean, it was abuse all over again. And I was like, is this all there is to life? Because if it is, I went out. And I already had two kids. Wow. And I was like, I, what's the point of being here if this is it? But if you show me that there is and why I'm going through this, then okay. And that's when things started being revealed to me. And I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. Right. You know, and in a way we did. How else are we going to know any difference? Because when you're in your spiritual form, you are, you know, everything, you know, right. everything that you've done and all the lives that you lived. Spirit doesn't go anywhere. You know, I was taught, oh, when you die, you go to heaven or hell. Well, now I know better. It's, I could create my own heaven or I could create my own hell. Right. And for a moment, I was like, wow, I created my own hell living there, you know, being married to this, you know, person, putting up with this abuse. It was hell. And then I got, well... You chose this to experience it, to know better. 
Yeah. So, I mean, because I know you probably also um, know that I lost my second son this year. Yes. So I had two sons and two daughters um, and my son, Dante, 30 years old, who stood on the front line with me for the last decade in his brother's absence. Um, my right hand dude um, went to California on March 5th for a weekend trip and was killed in a random drive-by. Four people were shot. My son was the only fatality. And I couldn't imagine, like, I couldn't imagine picking this life because even though something inside of me, I was so terrified always of losing my sons, right? And I fought, even before I got in the, the fight for gun violence prevention, I always fought to protect my children. I mean, even to the extent where, you know, when I got clean and I came off welfare and I created the business, I, I bought the house and had a huge backyard and we were the house. You know, there's always one house that all of the children gravitate toward, right? And we were that house. Charles fixed bikes and electronics and they we had basketball hoop and we rescued dogs and I kept fruit roll-ups in the cabinet and juice boxes in the refrigerator. And like, we were that house. And I figured in the back of my mind, I figured that if I could protect the village, the village would protect my children. Mm. Because there was always something there where I was terrified. Now, let me ask you something. Because uh, I've I've read this and, and studied it, and, and it sort of makes sense. It's you know, um, energy goes where attention. Well, you know, whatever your attention is, that that's where that energy is, and you know, this is a, a honest question, like because subconsciously you program that, and you had that feeling of that fear. That fear was so strong that it just, that it created that experience. I mean, that's a tough t pill to swallow because I've questioned things like, why did this happen? Why did that happen? Why, but you see, know, we are leaders of our own reality. So, so that I don't like, I, I don't. So, and, and here's the thing. I don't because I believe in a higher power, right? And mm -hmm. I understand that the higher power is the divine, it's the divinity, right? And that there's a there's a path for all of us to walk and that pain is a part of that path. And I understand that my life experience as painful as it is, is meant to empower other people. It's meant to strengthen other people. So I've never question since I got clean I've no I mean before I was so angry with God when I before I got clean like you couldn't even talk to me about God but once I got clean I got a relationship of my own not my grandmother's relationship not my mother's relationship a relationship of my own mm -hmm. with the divinity and I understand that I'm a, a spiritual being having a human experience right yes. So I understand that a lot of what I go through is never, I'm never going to know the answers to. So I'm not going to ask questions that I know I'm not going to get the answers to. Right. So like, even when Charles died, I never asked why I asked what I asked who. So I didn't ask why, but I asked, what am I supposed to be doing as a result of this? Right. I asked, who am I supposed to be touching? as a result of this. And through that, I created a whole nother life of service to humanity, right? And, and I saw that as divinity. But I can't make sense out of my second son because I've been obedient. I've been on the path. I've sacrificed my life. I've sacrificed myself. And then I lose my other son. Mm. I'm still not asking why, right? Mm -hmm. Still not asking why. I'm asking what? And I'm asking who? And here's the thing. 
on a, on such a spiritual level, I have a sense of gratitude, right? Even through all of the loss, even through all of the pain, I have a sense of gratitude because I understand where I could be as a result of this loss that I'm not, right? I understand that I could be in a mental institution with my arms wrapped behind my back and a white jacket left to my own devices. Wow. I love your perspective on that. Thank you for sharing that. Not saying it ain't painful. It's very painful. And yeah, I, I, I believe it. And, you know, coming from a, a soul to soul, spirit to spirit, they're still around. Yeah. They're just not in their human form anymore. Oh, no, they. So I had someone, I have a friend who is intuitive and I did a Zoom. One not, not a Zoom, I did a Facebook Live and I was in such grief and I used to not share that because homicide is very intimate. People don't realize it. Like when someone is snatched from you so violently and so quickly, it's very intimate. And someone told me to share that because I have mothers who walk up, I have people like who see me on the street. The guy came in to put um, internet service into my Charles Foundation building in West Philly yesterday, and he didn't know who I was originally because I had my mask on. And then when I pulled my mask down to go outside, he said, oh my gosh, you're the lady from television and you fight gun violence and thank you for everything that you do, right? But I lost my train of thought. <laughs> Must not have been important, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh your intuitive friend yes you're on facetime thank you you're good so i i go in i could be in the supermarket and people will come up to and i have a mask on and people will come up to me and just say i just want to tell you thank you you know i follow you on social media i see you on television just thank you for everything that you do so i did this uh facebook live one night and i was i was grieving so bad. And I went on Facebook Live and a friend of mine who isn't intuitive, who used to live in Philadelphia that now lives in Atlanta, jumped on. So she started messaging me, please call me, please call me, please call me. Um, and the next day I called her and she said, and she knew my son. She knew, she knew both of my sons. And she said, you know, you were on the Zoom and I saw them. She said, um, Charles was on your right side and Dante was on your left and Charles was rubbing your, your head and Dante was rubbing your leg and they were right there with you. She said, listen for the sounds around the house. One of them is saying something to me now about tapping. I said, oh, I hear them all the time. I, I hear them all the time. I hear the tapping in the kitchen when I'm sitting in the living room. Um, we used to hear Charles running back and forth like he used to um, on the second floor of the house. So I feel their presence when I go into Dante's room and that's the room that I pray in. I feel him like I felt him literally sit down on the bed behind me. Wow, that is so cool. So you're never alone they're always there yeah and my my issue over the years is is that i think my third eye has become clouded um because i used to have visions i used to have premonitions and i used to dream of the future mm -hmm. and that doesn't happen anymore do you want it back I don't know. Well, when you're ready, we'll talk. Okay. We will definitely, because there's something that I can do to help, but okay. it's got to be when you're ready. Yeah, I don't know if I want it. It's, it's a hard thing. It, it's not hard. It's just a very 
to me, it's an honorable gift to have, but it doesn't make it easy having that gift. No, especially as a child having premonitions. My mother said I was born with a veil mm -hmm. and having premonitions and dreaming of things and having those things happen. And yeah, it's heavy. Oh, it is heavy. I know firsthand. Yeah, it's heavy. And I used to be the one that, yeah, I'd have dreams and visions and, and things happening like the night, like that night I had that vision and the next day I find I, you know, someone was talking to me and then I would just like, oh, well, I had a vision. Yeah. And, and they were just like, oh my God, I didn't let anybody else know this. Or I didn't even share this with anybody. How in the, oh my God, damn, vision, hello, right. you know? And it it could be freaky and scary at the same time. Yeah. You know, people think you're you're crazy, you know, or eh, get away from me. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm just telling you, I had this vision. I had this dream. Right. What do you want from me? <laughs> and you want to help protect, but then it's just sometimes it's just for your information only. Nobody right. else. But then I've learned to discern now uh, because sometimes I'll get hit and it's like they're, it's like, hey, you have to go to tell that person this, tell that person, tell, tell, tell. And I'm like, okay, 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 you know. So, and then channeling, you know, ancient civilization beings and extraterrestrial beings, I'm blown away. It's really intense. And I know it's for a reason. Mm -hmm. I know it's part of my purpose of why I'm doing it. Yeah. Gun and it's a big thing. responsibility. Yep. I know it's my purpose. Without a question. So, girl, I got you back. When you're ready, we'll do some healing. Okay. Especially on your heart chakra. Yeah, because that's shattered. Well, I'm, I'm ready to give it some new life. <laughs> and then you're going to be woo, ready to go. <laughs> I love you. Thank you so much. Thank you for Kim. being here and having this moment and this experience. It was truly an honor and pleasure. And I wish you the best success in the Charles Foundation. Uh, I believe I have the information in the show, sh um, show notes. Okay. And if there's any other links on how to, you know, for events and things that you're doing to help with, you know, stop the violence, uh, be happy. I can put it in there later. Awesome. So all of that stuff is on the Charles Foundation website, but I would be remiss if I did not mention that I just wrote my first memoir, <gasps> um, which is Phoenix Ascending, My Rise from the Ashes. And it goes from my earliest memory, which is domestic violence until after my son Charles's trial, after the um, people that killed my son was brought to justice. So it, this can be found on my website, which is just my name, movitajohnsonharrell.com. Awesome. Definitely have that in, in the show notes so people can search it out and find that book. And I hope this, my wish and my intentions is somebody's hearing this and it, it, it's touching them. That's my hope too, Kim. We're on the same page. Yep. And I love you. You are a beautiful goddess. I love you too, honey. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, you are, it, it, it's my pleasure. Thank you for being with us today. And I look forward to having you again on my show. Absolutely. The next book comes out in April. Okay, definitely have you on and we'll promote it. Okay. Thanks, Kim. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Well, there you go. Wow. I learned something new every day. This was truly a godsend and divine appointment. And I look forward to really connecting with Movita. She's such a beautiful soul. And, you know, she reminds me of Joan of Arc. And 
that is a beautiful thing. So you never know who I'm going to have on my show. So stay tuned for Wake Up With KC. Do you agree that, you know, it's time that we all wake up and take responsibility, even for our ancestors that did not know any better? I've been waiting patiently to have this kind of conversation. 